Hey, what's up? This is a preview of a premium episode of Champagne Sharks. If you like this preview and you want to hear the rest of the episode, go to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. For $5 a month, you get access to the rest of this episode as well as all the past premium episodes in the archive. So it's a great deal. $5 a month, rest of this episode, all the back premium episodes as well. So without any further ado, let's get to it. Put your hands in the air. How you feeling out there? We gon' party over here, do got you see let me say la 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 Champagne Sharks. This is Trevor. Of course, you can call me T for short. You can find me on Twitter at Ricky Rawls, R-I-C-K-Y-R-A-W-L-S. I know I say it every time, but I like to treat every episode like it might be somebody's first, so deal with it. Uh, you can email us at champagnesharks at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter, the group Twitter account, at Champagne Sharks, one word. And of course, go to Patreon to become a subscriber, patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks i actually don't know because i lost track i don't know if this one is a premium or free episode i have not kept track but just in case it's a free one uh this is this is uh the information that you go to and i think that's everything oh oh actually i want to plug this more this is champagne sharks reddit and i like the work that they're doing there and the discussion that they're doing there we don't run it but it's champagne sharks.reddit.com definitely check them out they do good work tell a friend and rate and review the show on itunes and with that that's everything we have with us co-host d mills hey what's going on everybody this is d mills you can catch me on twitter at mdmills 79 the handle is don't at me and i think that about covers all the mediums you can use to get in touch with us there's no escaping you know so if we don't <laughs> respond or reply it's you know it's not that we, we didn't see it you can <laughs> yeah we, yeah we just hate you <laughs> and we're um, avoiding you <laughs> yeah we have a guest who i will let introduce himself hey everybody uh my name is mark uh i'm just glad to, uh, i'm glad to be on the show um 
I'm a podcaster writer for the website Plan A Magazine. It's planamag.com. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at SNBatman. So that's at SNBatman, like the superhero. Great. And um, tell people also about podcasts. I think people already know about the podcast. The podcast is at is uh, Escape from Plan A. Uh, and uh, it's myself, uh, you know, some other, I think Teen was on Champagne Sharks, Oxford. Uh, and uh, it's the podcast that's attached to our magazine. Yeah, and I've been a guest on uh, that podcast too. I've uh, linked to it in the past and retweeted it. And it's kind of interesting because it's led to uh, some interesting cross uh, conversation that has been fun. But today you're here to talk about a uh, specific topic, one that's actually uh, you have personal experience with. So that's right. I will let you uh, start it off and introduce it. Okay, cool. Um, so, uh, you know, just as uh, getting to know Trevor and like talking and everything, and also just as part of a big part of my identity is that I'm a I'm an international uh, and a transracial adoptee. I'm I'm Korean American. Uh, I was born in Korea and I was raised uh, in America uh, by uh, some, quick, by quick white thing. parents. Can you explain transracial? Because I feel like that word has become, <laughs> become kind of co-opted <laughs> and, and 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 changed the meaning of by uh, Rachel by, by uh, Miss Rachel Dolezal. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So 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 you're you're using the original definition of transracial. Yes, I think it's important. I'm using the yeah. yes the original definition of transracial, and it's basically when um, a child of you know one race is raised by parents of a different race. And that usually, um, well, you know, it can be, it can happen in many, you know, many different ways. It could, it could be someone who has uh, one parent of one race and one parent of another, or in my case, um, at, through adoption. So I was born in Korea and I'm, you know, fully ethnically and, and I think phenotypically Korean, but um, my parents are white Americans. So, you know, so I... I'm a different race than my parents. So that, that comes with a lot of, uh, you know, intended complications, yeah. <laughs> I'll say. Mm. And uh, can you tell us about your relationship to that set of circumstances from childhood to now? Like, uh, like first, when you, I guess, were first, like, uh, remember being conscious of it, like, like you can actually mm. remember being conscious of it and how your relationship to that set of circumstances has evolved um, over time and where you are with it now. <laughs> So you guys have like two hours, right? So, um, <laughs> so yeah, no, I mean, just, just, uh, you know, I'll try to, some, I'll, I'll try not to take too much time with it because yeah, we have other things to get to. But yeah, like um, I always, I always knew I wasn't white, right? You know, it, it, it's, it would take um, a special type of self delusion to be to look at yourself in the mirror and see an Asian face, and then look at your parents and see, you know, white, white faces, and to not sort of recognize that difference. But you know, growing up, you know, and, and where I grew up, um, very white affluent suburb um you know you you're culturally american and, and i think culturally culturally american for most people is pretty pretty white and especially where i grew up and you know you you sort of don't think of yourself as a person of color um, and i didn't until i think I, I you know until i went to college and when i stepped out of my my white suburb into you know, college where there was people from all different backgrounds and races and and whatnot um that's when I first sort of was able to interact with people that looked like me. Um, so I think, you know, once I entered college, it sort of really kicked off this desire to sort of to, to explore my background uh, and my, my Koreanness, so to speak. Um, so since then, you know, it's it's waxed and waned. But, you know, recently, I think and, you know, I guess thank you, Trump. But <laughs> he um, he really, I think, reinvigorated my 
uh, desire to sort of connect to that and, mm. and to, to sort of step into what that means and to, um, you know, find other people. And I, and I was lucky enough to find, you know, my friends like Teen and Oxford and Jess and all the other people at Plan A that so, sort of that shared that political drive and that, that drive to sort of make our voices hurt. Because I think in various degrees, we'd all sort of been either thinking about it or even active in, you know, in the Asian American uh, space, culturally, socially, politically. And uh, we wanted to make sure that things that we've always wanted to say get heard because we just haven't seen anyone else do it. Um, I wanted to ask something broader. I wanted to ask, I was going to start out specific, but it's going to get broader. What are the circumstances that led you to need to be adopted? But I don't mean particularly by mm-hmm. your family. I mean, right. culturally, because I know there's a lot of Korean adoptees and there was yeah. some kind of... Um, uh, boom what happened in the country that led to that um boom that uh eventually uh, you were caught up in yeah so the the history of of, of korean adoption um or inter you know international korean adoption um sort of starts after like even during the korean war so the first um so the first uh wave were the uh children of american gis uh with with korean women um, but then it suddenly it suddenly grew in into just you know fully Korean kids being adopted uh, outside of the country, and there are a lot of reasons for it. And I'm not like a, a, a scholar in it, but I've done some reading, and there there are some cultural factors that that um, factor into it. So even you know it's gotten a lot better recently, but uh, being a single mother or having children um, when you're not married. Uh, was really really frowned upon mm-hmm. um also if you're not officially recognized as uh part of the family you can't inherit anything right so uh there are some legal sort of reasons for that as well but uh and 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 just adoption within the country or you know domestically in korea wasn't seen wasn't really a popular or seen as something that uh was done so when you know when there are kids around and, and no one's there to take care of them um something had to be done. Plus, Korea up until I think, you know, the mid 80s and 90s wasn't the richest country either. So th- mm-hmm. there weren't there wasn't a lot of resources to take care of, uh, you know, just children. So uh, there are a lot of factors that 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 came into that. But after like, you know, what's really funny is that the the number of Korean adoptees internationally has dropped a lot. And it's basically not done. And, uh, and and the catalyst was, of that was actually sort of in in the 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 Olympics that were in Seoul. I think it was what was that eighty eight. Yeah, it sounds Seoul about right. Korea. Ninety maybe eighty. I think 90, maybe it was, 90, was it eighty eight? Yeah, it was eight. It was eighty eight. Oh yeah, because eighty four was Los Angeles. Yes, it was eighty eight. So they had the Summer Olympics there. Brian, I think it was Brian Gumpel, one of the Gumbles, mm-hmm. did did this uh, did this like TV expose on. The uh, Korean, you know, like the, the exporting of Korean babies to America or around the world to like the West. Uh, he's like, why is this happening? You know, and it really embarrassed the Korean government. And that really was the impetus to sort of <laughs> oh, wow. that policy. Wow. And, yeah. and, and what kind of stuff have they done to uh, change that? Have they, have they like culturally uh, accepted the circumstances I, that lead to that more or done economic programs? Do you have any idea? Um, I, I think it's, yeah, I, I think... It's a combination of all of those factors, right? I think um, as as Korean culture, as the as as Korean economy got better, as the culture, uh, as as the people were more exposed to the to the world, and just as things changed, and it became a democracy, not a dictatorship 
or military dictatorship, um, the culture has changed, right? So I think some of the attitudes did loosen up about, you know, that single motherhood or having, you know, children out of uh, marriage. And, that, you know, and government and the government policies changed, right? So they, they made it, I don't know all the specifics, but they, they did like tighten up the, the regulations around the groups that could just sort of say these kids are up for adoption and you can adopt them. So they, they, they changed the regulation on that. So it, it's a lot of different factors. Mm, got it. Yeah. Um, I have one, I have one other question that I'm going to, uh, yeah, go see, for it. See what D, what D has to say. I met, I met several people over my lifetime who have had similar situations you where um they say yeah my i'm korean i'm a korean adoptee i was adopted by an affluent white family but what thing i find interesting the two examples that i met and you're the third one i met in my lifetime all said that they had positive experience, okay. but seemed to have a lot of skepticism or cynicism toward the process anyway, that mm. kind of uh, mm. surprised. I was wondering if you could expand on why you think that is, like, first off, if that applies to you, mm -hmm. or even if it doesn't, if you could in any way uh, weigh in on why you think that happened to the other uh, people that I met because these were meetings in passing. I wasn't able to like, really okay. talk to them. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I, I, I love my parents. I had a, I had a good childhood. Um, you know, I, I wasn't abused or anything like that. Um, you know, I have a good relationship with my parents to this day. Um, unfortunately my dad passed a few years ago, but uh, my mom is still, still alive. Um, but I think with, with adoptees, but either domestic or international, transracial or not. Um, it's sort of, um, it, it's not sort of, it is a defining experience for most of us. I think there certainly are some that don't want to ever think about it and they're just human beings and they just want to go about their lives and they don't think or talk or write or do anything about it. But I, you know, all the adoptees I've met, and it's probably a self-selecting group because you know, the people who are going to you know, seek other adoptees out sort of think about it. Um, even if they had a great experience, they've met other adoptees that haven't. Plus, once you start reading about it and learning about adoption just as a practice, um, plus your experiences um, being, you know, a person of color and, and growing up, uh, you know, in predominantly white areas, you might have ex experienced racism um, or just for myself, I didn't experience a lot of direct racism from other people, and especially not from my parents. But there are certain things about, you know, my life experience, um, be it dating or work or just uh, everyday interactions that they couldn't understand. And as much as they wanted to help me with, you know, my dating experience or dealing with insensitive jokes or something like that, you know, they really couldn't as much as they wanted to. And I think we were talking about this, uh, it's related to something we were talking about before we recorded, they couldn't really empathize, right? It's the difference between empathy and sympathy. Sympathy, right. And so when you think about that and, and just the fact that, you know, as much as you do have like a proximity of whiteness in terms of your parents are white and, you know, if they're, and they're usually affluent, so they're going to have some money and, and you, you are close to whiteness in that sense. Once you're not with your parents, your closeness to whiteness evaporates, right? You're just, you're, you're just you. Mm. And because you're not white yourself on first blush, no one's going to, you know, be like, oh, you're adopted and you're raised white parents. Oh, that makes you like cool, right? You know something interesting that you brought up that it makes me wonder if even being raised by Asian immigrant parents could have helped you in with is personally, um, you know, I'm raised by black immigrant parents, but my sure, yeah. black immigrant parents, you know, grew up in a black country. So 
they grew up surrounded by you know black doctors black lawyers black accountants black male that's men, right yeah you know all that stuff but they didn't have american descent in the slaves background of right. knowing what it's like to grow up as a minority in a predominantly white country and having to navigate what that does to you psychologically so mm-hmm. even though my parents you know black they weren't really much of a resource or help for me for yeah, dealing, point, yeah. dealing with wow. uh, white racism. And I have to imagine it has to be very similar for um, Asian people being raised by Asian immigrant parents. Like, you know, maybe if yeah. your yeah. parents were uh, second generation immigrant or whatever, uh, they can tell you, oh, I remember what it was like growing up in a, you know, white school being Asian and what it was like. And they can empathize. So that's, that's something I find kind of interesting. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing I kind of find interesting myself is that when I hear black American people talk about how the parents gave them different talk mm. and stuff like that so a certain degree like i can't really relate because i just navigate a lot of it uh myself my parents came over as adults and were in the working force you know and they might have had yeah. some experience but is that the same as dealing with kids kids are a whole different beast oh yeah absolutely but i guess to sort of uh, to try to answer the question about why we care about or we're, we're critical adoption um even though we personally might have had a good experience um, as I think you, as you just read about um, the system, you see the inequalities in it. You see the abuses that can happen, not just in, with adoption, but, you know, in foster care, which um, is a whole nother can of worms, um, but is always sort of inextric- inextricably tied to adoption, um, at least in, in America, because uh, foster care can lead to adoption um, or, or that's the goal, I guess, uh, of foster care, um, some people think. Um, while I think there's a growing movement of family preservation where uh, foster care is not meant to be just like a halfway house to adoption, but um, uh, it, it, a temporary condition to before, uh, you know, you go back to your family, either your biological parents or uh, another family member. Um, so I think uh, for me, at least as I learned more about it and as I interacted with more um, adoptees, uh, you know the flaws started to show, and the cracks, and the, and the the um and the the narrative of the saviorism, and the this is a unalloyed good in the world sort of crumbles. And either you can turn away and be like, oh, well, you know, that's not my problem, or you can say, you know, I, I want to talk about it, or and at the very least, uh, you know, continue to interact and, and be with other adoptees and sort of mm. um you know support them. All right, so that's the preview. If you enjoyed it. You know what to do. Patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. Five dollars a month and you get to hear it all. Later. <laughs>